0: This series comes with a content note. Some of what you'll hear is distressing. Please check the show notes for phone numbers you can contact to receive confidential support. In this series, abuse perpetrated by an intimate partner is described as family violence, domestic abuse or domestic violence. We acknowledge that production took place on what always has been and always will be Aboriginal land.
1: He tried to convince me that all men were dangerous. Like the beginning of our relationship... He was trying to convince me that every man was out there to get something. Every man was out there to get something.
2: My name's Tharang Chavler, and my sister Nikki was killed by her partner in 2015. I'm a writer, broadcaster and anti-violence activist. I'm also the host of There's No Place Like Home. Today we'll talk about jealousy, a unique kind of jealousy that's specific to abusive partners. It's a kind of jealousy that manifests in forms of abuse we've already discussed this season, like gaslighting.
3: It's one of the major warning signs for danger ahead. And I don't tend to use the word jealous on its own. I might be jealous of a man who's got a flourishing, thick, full head of hair. That's not the kind of jealousy we're talking about. What we're talking about here is what I call sexual jealousy. So that's about ownership.
2: Brian Sullivan is the founder of Sakura DV, a company that provides domestic violence intervention, education and training. Brian says that sexual jealousy stems from misogyny, the patriarchal view of women as men's property. For an abuser, sexual jealousy isn't about desire, it's about entitlement
3: characteristic of these men's profiles, the sexual jealousy. You're off limits to other men now because men can't be trusted, so that's why you have to be around me all the time. That's why I will stalk you, I will ring you during the day to find out what you're doing, where you are. I might even put cameras in the house to check that no one else is in the house if I'm a
2: high-risk offender. Particularly in a new relationship, Possessiveness and jealousy can look and feel like infatuation and devotion. But these behaviours come from control, not love. It's intentional,
3: it's deliberate and it's purposeful. It's about a man getting what he wants from her, when he wants it, whenever he wants it. So it serves his intentions and that means to me he's a
2: very dangerous man. Which brings me to Anya. Anya experienced years of abuse at the hands of her then-partner, David. We've changed both of their names for privacy.
1: We are involved in kind of the same community. So, we knew a lot about each other. We sort of were involved. It was quite romantic in the beginning. It was that sort of friends to lovers kind of journey and I definitely
2: got swept up in it. Anya noticed David's attitude towards their friends begin to change. He tried to convince me that all men were dangerous. Like the beginning of our
1: relationship, he was trying to convince me that every man was out there to get something. So like even people who I was friends with, who would talk to me, he'd be like, you know that person wants to sleep with you, right? You know you're giving them the wrong impression, right?
2: At first, it wasn't scary the time,
1: it was easier to just sort of go, oh, okay, well, that's just a misunderstanding and this person's a little bit too forward. But it wasn't malicious in the beginning. It became malicious later. It was openly cruel and hurtful and scary after we already told each other that we were in
2: love. Jealousy and possessiveness are easily mistaken for signs of passion when actually they're often warning signs of abuse. These men can be
3: very... Charming, in inverted commas, it's not real charm, it's cunning and conniving. They can play the relationship game sufficiently well enough early on to gain that level of commitment and to overwhelm this woman with charm and attention
2: and romance, but it's a deadly romance. Brian Sullivan says that once an abuser trusts that their partner is in love and committed to them... That's when abusive and controlling behaviour escalates.
3: Once you're in a relationship with me, once I've got you locked in or trapped in that relationship, you are mine, my property, my sexual property. You're no one else's. You shouldn't be talking at other men. You shouldn't be looking at other men. And in fact, if you do look at another man or talk to another man and may be completely innocent according to your worldview, to my worldview, you're plotting infidelity. You're talking about me. You're wanting to leave the relationship and get with him. So it's a very dangerous and high risk.
2: An abuser will often control who their partner sees, restrict what they wear, or isolate their partner from their support systems. Abusers might also expect their partner to account for their whereabouts at all times or pay the consequences when they don't. Sue and Lloyd Clark, the parents of Hannah Clark, said that this is exactly what happened to their daughter.
4: He would constantly call her to see where she was, send text messages. How come you're not home yet? You should have left the gym at 5 o'clock. It's now 5.30. Why aren't you? You should be home. Who have you been talking to?
2: You would have heard the name Hannah Clark. Hannah and her children... Aaliyah, Layana, and Trey were all killed by Hannah's ex-partner in Brisbane in 2020. The perpetrator, who was also the children's father, wasn't physically violent before their murders, as far as we know. But he was extremely controlling of Hannah and he showed signs of sexual jealousy throughout their relationship.
4: In the early days, he made Hannah shut down her Facebook page. He stopped her from seeing her best friend.
2: And they got through her messages He also controlled what Hannah wore.
4: Hannah was never allowed to wear pink.
2: Today, pink is one of the colours for the Small Steps for Hannah Foundation, which Sue and Lloyd Clark have established. They use the colour pink in their branding, logo and merchandise, because Hannah was not allowed to wear this colour.
4: We wanted pink out there everywhere.
2: They also use the term HALT as part of their brand's mission to halt domestic and family violence.
4: HALT actually stands for all their names. So Hannah, Leah, Liliana and Trey.
2: A jealous abuser will commonly show up at their partner's workplace unannounced and uninvited.
1: He would turn up to my work all the time. And sometimes it was nice and then sometimes it was not. And it would be uncomfortable if I was ever working. I'd be chatting to guys from tech and he would walk in on me talking to a producer who's 45 years old and completely harmless, that night I would have to explain to him was I having an affair with the technical director at work because there was a man in my vicinity and I had to speak to him.
2: Abusers commonly accuse their partner of having imagined affairs. It's a tactic designed to make their partner second-guess their interactions with others and further isolate themselves to reduce the risk of further accusations. Jane Matz... A victim survivor advocate who you met in the last episode says that abusers make up narratives fueled by jealousy to control their partner's movements.
5: When it comes to jealousy, and it's more around if they can't control them anymore, how can they create further control? And quite often they make up stories, such as you're having an affair with a particular person, or you've gone out with the girls and all of a sudden you haven't really gone out with the girls, you've got this new man in your life, or you've got this new woman in your life. And then they start padding it out and making it even bigger.
2: After leaving her abusive partner, Jane is now studying law and she's founded the Sisters in Law Project to help other women in need.
5: I had worked with a mum who was accused of having an affair because she had to go and change two tires on her car and she was going to be late for work and they they worked together so she was late to work and he wondered why they were late to work and she said I told you I was going to get the two front tires I've got registration due and he's created a story that said that the person that was changing the tires was the person you're having an affair with you're having an affair with one of those guys there because they look good and they're buff and I'm not buff and you know this is all against me
2: DAVO is another tactic that's often associated with sexual jealousy. It's an acronym that spells out what perpetrators do, which is to deny, attack and reverse victim and offender. DAVO. D-A-R-V-O. Put simply, the abuser puts the blame on the victim-survivor and makes themself out to be the victim.
5: It became a, a narrative for him, for her it made her quiet. She would say to me I, I just stopped talking, I stopped communicating because things were twisted that never were true. If going
2: to work or out with friends or visiting family means a tirade of anger and abuse, avoidance can quickly become total isolation as a way to keep the peace.
1: Within the first few months i kind of Stopped talking to men. Stopped believing that men could speak to me for any intention other than eventually getting into my pants. And it's not that I genuinely believed, that it just became too hard. It became too hard to stay friends with boys and to constantly have to
2: explain, that person's not trying to sleep with me. So I stopped. Anya's experience shows how sexual jealousy is often linked to unhealthy expressions of masculinity including this idea that men are dominant protectors who have to control the women in their lives. Men who hold these kinds of beliefs are more likely to perpetrate violence against women. And Brian Sullivan says that this is especially true when their power is challenged. This is a situation
3: which I have to win as the man. It's not equal and mutual and egalitarian. It's Situation where I'm the boss, I have to win. Relationships are really contests, I think, for many of these men, where the man has to be the victor. And where there's a victor, there's a victim or someone who's defeated. Where there's a winner, there's a loser. Where there's someone who's right, there has to be someone who's in the wrong. Where there's someone who's strong, there has to be someone who's weak. And in these relationships, The man takes the top billing, and the woman, of course, is second class and secondary
2: in this space. In his book, Why Does He Do That?, Lundy Bancroft writes that abusers use extreme jealousy to isolate their partners, because they want their partner's life to be entirely focused on their needs. In the beginning, Anya's partner took on the role of protector in their relationship.
1: I was being encouraged to be soft and to feel my feelings and not be independent, which I had been. Looking back now, I can recognise that that was a ploy, telling the hyper-independent girl that it's time for her to, to rely on other people.
2: Six months later, Anya's world had shrunk. Her life now revolved entirely around David. But this didn't stop his jealousy. In fact, David would become abusive when things weren't going well at work or in other parts of his life. It would be because he missed out on a promotion at work,
1: or he wasn't getting his due at work, or he wasn't being celebrated or praised enough. Things that hurt, sure, but things that happen to normal people all the time through the course of life that don't then turn around and decide to systematically abuse someone else.
2: So-called rules and then punishments for breaking them are a hallmark of abusive relationships. They allow abusers to assert dominance over their partner, which leads to a sense of ownership not a quality. She
4: had to respect him at all times. When they were out, if he felt Jin said something, even in jest, that may have enlittled him in his eyes, there would be problems.
2: he would lose it.
4: He could go for days without speaking to
2: her. Sue and Lloyd Clark tell us that Hannah's killer would punish her if she didn't have sex with him every single night.
4: If she refused sex nightly, there was a problem. And if she didn't look like she was enjoying the sex nightly, there was a problem. He would punish her with not speaking to her and he would go for days or he'd storm out of the house and turn his phone off or take the children out and be non-contactable. So Penna had no idea where the children was and that was her punishment to make her suffer.
2: So how do you tell the difference between the sexual jealousy that we see from abusive partners and the kind of jealousy that we all feel sometimes. Lundy Bancroft writes that jealous feelings are different to jealous behaviours. A new partner might feel anxious about their lover's connections with others. That feeling is natural and understandable. It's the action that might follow that feeling that could be a red flag. If a partner expects you to give up your freedom in order to accommodate their jealousy, Bancroft argues that's control not love, that's motivating them. And Brian Sullivan agrees. These aren't men having a bad
3: day. These aren't men who have random, accidental
2: explosions of violence. Brian says the difference between jealous feelings and jealous behaviours lies in what happens when a potential victim doesn't follow their partner's rules. How does this man react when
3: I don't do what he wants me to or I don't follow my life according to his rules and regulations. What's his reaction? And he may be very regulated, but generally you can see, I would think, there's an awning sign there if he reacts in some kind of tantrumy way or hysterical, histrionic way or in a way that really is not proportionate to your
2: saying no If you're in a relationship and these stories feel or sound familiar, then there are some specific questions that you can ask yourself. Is your partner calling you incessantly throughout the day? Are they consistently arriving at your work or on a night out with your friends unannounced? Do they insist on spending every waking moment together? Does your partner justify their jealousy by saying things like they've never been so in love or so crazy about someone before? Are they seeking to influence the way you dress, saying your clothing is too sexy, too revealing or too provocative? Sue Clark says these behaviours are warning signs. Warning signs that can be mistaken for love.
4: He would ring Anna constantly through the day. And I can remember in the early days saying to Hannah, gee, father doesn't call me. Like, (laughs) clearly he doesn't care. But, you know, once you realise what it is, it's not love at all.
2: Sue believes that a person's colleagues can play an important role in picking up on possible warning signs.
4: As a work colleague, be aware if one of your workmates is getting a lot of phone calls from their partner. Mm. Just call to say, I love you, just checking how you are or they're dropping in to bring lunch in or just dropping into the workplace unannounced. You know, it seems like, oh, how lovely you know, they really love their partner, but it is another form of control and knowing where they are continually. So if you notice these sort of behaviours happening, just be aware and take note and if you feel you can, ask your colleague, hey, is everything okay? How is your relationship? You can broach that with them.
2: If you're supporting a colleague, it's vital to have empathy for the complexity of their situation. Know that their decisions are governed by pressures and threats that you might not understand or be fully aware of and recognise that they might welcome your support but still not feel fully comfortable disclosing the abuse to you.
4: Understand your workmate may be going through this and to just be there for them, listen to them, help them if they need help, but also understand if they can't go for drinks after work or can't come to the Christmas party. And it's not... That they're snobs or dislike you, it's just that it's better for them to go home. It's safer Definitely. for them sometimes and just makes their life easier. And if you can understand that and not press them.
2: Anya says that to support a loved one, you have to listen, that you can give advice, and that you must suspend any sense of judgment.
1: If you want to help people in a situation, you cannot judge them. One of the most detrimental things for people in this situation is when they talk to their friends about a violent, manipulative relationship and they get pop culture dating advice in return. That is not helpful. That makes people stop talking. That makes people feel judged and like they deserve the violence that they got.
2: Brian says that men have a role to play when it comes to influencing abusers to stop their dangerous and damaging behaviour.
3: We can't change for him. We can't do the work for him, but we can work with him and guide and support that change.
2: If you're a man and you see another bloke exhibiting these kinds of abusive behaviours, then Brian says that you can try to hold them accountable, but only when it's safe and appropriate to do so, and if the person who is being abused wants you to intervene.
3: It's not rubbing a man's nose in his abusive, aggressive ways. That doesn't help anyone change. That just creates resistance and defensiveness and they'll dig their heels
2: in. Brian gave us some examples from his Men's Behaviour Change Program. While you're listening to them, remember that the agency of the victim-survivor is paramount, as is your safety, and that it may not be appropriate or safe to step in the way that Brian, a trained professional does in his controlled environment. By confronting
3: a man about his violence, I don't mean backing him into a corner. I don't mean shirt fronting him or using power and control over him. I mean presenting him with the discrepancies in his story. You say you want to be a good dad, and yet we know the domestic violence that you're perpetrating does incredible harm to children. How do you live with those two views? That you wanna be a good dad and yet you're being abusive to their mother. So that's a confrontation. That's pointing out a discrepancy in his story and it's making him face up to the fact that you can't have both. You can't be a violent man and be a good father. That doesn't work, that's not possible.
2: In his programs, Brian listens to these men's responses without accepting their narrative. Their narratives,
3: because their narratives will always be about denial, minimizing, blaming, excusing, justifying their violence initially. But to listen to them as human beings and respect them, but always with that firmness that we are here to change violence. We're not here to collude with you. We're not here to focus on your depression or your anxiety or your alcohol and drugs, which may be real problems, but they're not what we're going to deal with in this group.
2: While we're not all frontline workers who can confront potentially dangerous people, this knowledge that there's never an excuse for perpetrating abuse against someone is something that we can all keep in mind. Brian says that men have a particular part to play in preventing abuse and in using their influence to change the cultures that underpin violence against women. Hannah Clark's father, Lloyd Clark, is one of those role models. Well, no one should have that one unequal power. They have the total power in a relationship that should be shared. Since Hannah and her children were killed, Lloyd and Sue have campaigned tirelessly to end domestic and family violence primarily by building awareness around coercive control through their small steps for Hannah Foundation. Lloyd says that he grew up in a violent home himself, but that he made a conscious choice to not become like his father. I had a choice to make, and I made a choice not to be like him. You can make a choice and
3: change that cycle. It's not easy, but you can make that choice. You need to talk to other
2: males, let your emotions out, don't hold your emotions in, let someone know, talk about it. Lloyd makes an important point, that people choose to commit abuse. There's this false idea that people, but especially men, just lose control. That's a myth. The man who killed my sister said the same. But committing abuse is a choice, regardless of what other things are happening in someone's life. Silence
3: is violence. So if we're not talking about his violence and abuse and focusing on his mental health or his level of trauma or his unemployment or his drugs and alcohol problems, if we're doing anything and everything but focusing on his violence, then I think we're doing a disservice and we're colluding with him.
2: We need to focus on his violence primarily. Safe and Equal CEO Tanya Faha points out that people who perpetrate intimate partner abuse won't lose control with their colleagues, their boss or strangers, or any time that they could be held accountable by others.
4: How perpetrators act in public versus how they act at home is really problematic because it's a controlled behaviour. They control their own behaviour too. It's a decision, you know, for them to use. It's not like it's an
0: uncontrolled behaviour.
2: After what she's lived through, Anya has some advice. She says that you should always stay connected to the people who care about you as best you can.
1: The more people that you have around you who will listen to your flaws and your mistakes and your failures and still say, well, you don't deserve to be hit and you don't deserve to be scared and you don't deserve to be manipulated. And that could have happened to anybody. The more people helped me recognise that it was a complex situation that I didn't just wake up in, it took years of breaking who I was down as a person to be controlled to that level. They were the people that were helpful.
2: Next week on There's No Place Like Home, we'll explore how technology can be used to abuse.
4: I honestly didn't even know that this key logo technology was even a thing until one day my laptop just wasn't working properly. And I Googled how to fix it. And I was taken through a series of steps to use the task manager function and find out what was kind of running around in the background. And I found a file that I couldn't identify and then I googled
0: the file name and found out what it was and it was a key logger. See you then. There's No Place Like Home is a Future Women podcast in collaboration with our proud partner Commonwealth Bank who are committed to helping end financial abuse through Combank Next Chapter. No matter who you bank with, if you're worried about your finances because of domestic and family violence, you can contact Combank's Next Chapter team. Contact them on one 800 387 within Australia or visit combank.com.au slash chapter. If you need help or advice, please check the show notes for phone numbers for confidential support. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review. It'll help these important stories to reach more people's ears. For more information about There's No Place Like Home or to join the movement, please head to futurewomen.com. This episode was produced by Jamila Rizvi, Emily Brooks, Mel Fulton, Sally Spicer, Hannah Fahour and Tarang Chavla. Editing by Bad Producer Productions, artwork by Patty Andrews.